Coming up, how the framing of our political issues has changed over the years. The great trade war of the 21st century and how it could end. Cryptocurrency and divorce. Plus, your questions. The Cody Willard Show is brought to you by TradingWithCody.com. Welcome back to another edition of Cody Willard Show. I have my trusty compatriot and executive producer, Chris McHugh, along for the ride. Chris, I suppose we've got some uh, breaking news. Uh, not necessarily breaking, but we got news from last night slash this morning. We should hit on first. Um, you want to bring up the topic for me? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Facebook plunging as much as 20% Thursday. Say bye-bye to $120 billion in market cap, Cody. Well, look, I've owned Facebook since it was at $20 per share, and I wrote an article, several articles, and did some interviews on Wall Street Journal talking about why I was buying it and explaining that at that point I was the quote-unquote only idiot who was buying Facebook. I'm just going to leave my earpiece like that. Um, the, the, the fact is, when I look back at that analysis recently, Facebook had 800 million users at that point, a daily, every, every month actually. 800 million people would use the service every month. 800 million people, and that's a huge, huge number. That kind of a community, kind of a group of people on one platform had never been accomplished before. So what I looked at was, look, if they could do six cents per day per user, they were gonna be generating $20 billion in sales. Well, they're doing that now. And they do much more than six cents per user and they have two and a half billion people using at least one of Facebook's services every day, one of their apps every day. WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook being the biggest drivers. Messenger, 2.5 billion people. That's, you know, a lot of the media is going to be talking about that today. And the media is right to focus on that because that is just astounding. That's more than one third or about one third of the planet's entire population. And Facebook just needs to monetize six cents per day on two and a half billion people. Now, that being said, look, I don't, I sure wouldn't rush out and buy Facebook right now. I've been trimming some in the last year. Facebook was at $165, $170 per share last July, one year ago. So be patient. I, I, I could see Facebook, like I told my Trading with Cody subscribers in a note that I sent out last night when this news hit, that uh, I could see it bouncing around here, 150, 180, sticking. I, I could see it take a year. It could be a year before it gets back to say 217 or wherever it was yesterday before this report. The worst part is we should have bought some puts or some hedges on the triple Qs or just, you know, I've been telling people be cautious and I've been nibbling some puts on occasion. Yesterday, I even sent my nephew Bryce a text at like two minutes before the market closed, just sort of teasing because he had bought puts a few weeks ago when the markets were down quite a bit. And of course, I've been teasing him a little bit and since then, I mean, like, those crazy markets, am I right? And yesterday I sent him one at uh, two minutes before the market closed. We should buy puts now. Well, actually it should have been serious. Anyway, that's that's the take on Facebook. It's you know it, the 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 
the other thing I always tell people is that the as far as the regulatory stuff goes, that's actually for Facebook's benefit. It keeps any competitors from being able to start. No startup social network's ever going to be able to compete with Facebook and Twitter and anyone else because it's too expensive to meet all of the demands that the regulators in Europe and the United States are going to demand. So um, that's it. I would stick with Facebook, but I wouldn't buy it right now. Gotcha. Let's, let's, hit, the, let's hit the show, Chris. Yep. Administration unveiling the short-term bailout for tariff hit farmers hours after President Trump proclaimed on Twitter, tariffs are the greatest. <laughs> um, what's amazing about not the tariffs, which are, we've been talking the last couple of shows about, but the bailout, the bailout for the farmers. I mean, uh, the, first of all, I can't, I, I've talked about this before, I can't figure out how libertarians can delude themselves into thinking Trump is a libertarian. And this is a classic example, a $12 billion welfare package for farmers. And it's not truly for farmers. That's what they say it's going to be. Like every other bill that gets passed, the devil will be in the details. Wait till you see what the lobbyists and the t attorneys and the assistants to the senators who are supposed to be writing that bill are putting in the actual bill that would send a $12 billion of welfare, of entitlements to giant corporations related to the farming industry. And some of it will trickle down to farmers. Um, What's crazy about that is the farmer, the farming industry is classically Republican, right? I mean, stereotypically Republican. And you'll hear them talk, not just farmers, but Republicans in general and so-called conservatives, if they pretend they're conservative and Republican at the same time, which you can't be, because of things like this. A $12 billion bailout welfare entitlement package if you were a farmer, just like if you were a banker in the bailouts, you should refuse the welfare. You should quit. You should be like, no, I'm going to sell my stuff and I'm going to find other markets. If you're, what are you? Like, how can you ever complain about entitlements again? If you're a banker on welfare, which still to today you are, every emergency welfare program they created in the financial crisis in 2008, still in existence right now. You don't think this $12 billion bailout package for the farmers is just more, the beginning of more? And you don't think that this is a classic example of the government making business an entire industry that's already dependent upon the government even more dependent upon the government. It is marrying industry to the government. And there's another name for that. It starts with F. I dropped the F bomb. You go Google, Cody Willard calls out John Stewart if you want to know what the F bomb word is. That's his term. That's right, Cody. But, you know, that was a little piece of the puzzle, but Looking at the big umbrella over all this, the great trade war of the 21st century. How's it going to end? Talk to me, Cody. So this is a question from a train with Cody subscriber from the chat yesterday. If you want to be able to ask me the questions that I answer on these shows and or make an actual topic on the show, it's that. You go to trainwithcody.com, you sign up, 
I take your questions. I'm in the chat room most every day and we have a special weekly chat where we all get, the community gets together and we talk. Um, but the, the way I answered it on there is, there's three really scenarios, okay? It's the worst case, let's go best case scenario. The best case scenario is that tariffs around the world are dropped, free trade, government not involved, is actually booming, prosperity goes through the roof. That's not even what this is about though. None of these tariffs are trying to get free trade. It's the corporations, the global corporations that are selling products around the world that will be writing these bills that will be full of protections and subsidies for the companies that are going to benefit from whatever the new trade deals are. There's a hint of how the most likely outcome of this is. The best case scenario is that it all works out just like Trump says he's trying to do. The worst case scenario would be that we have a huge trade war, tariffs go through the roof, inflation creeps up, investment capital flow goes to a standstill, small businesses, medium enterprises, big corporations are all worried, nobody wants to invest, nobody can afford anything, capital gets restricted, rates go through the roof. There's a one to six percent chance of that happening. There's a zero to one percent chance of the best case scenario happening that I mentioned a minute ago. The most likely 90 to 95 percent chance of happening is that some that basically the global corporations that are going to either benefit or suffer from these things write the bills for the Republican Democrat regime under Trump. You can pretend he's not a Republican. You can pretend he's a libertarian. But again, bailouts, welfare entitlements flowing upward, not downward. It's all tied in together. The most likely outcome is that we got more of the same. We got a bubble blowing bull market where the average consumer and poor person suffers and pays more than their fair share in taxes and corporations, giant corporations getting lots of protections and subsidies and welfare and tax breaks. Hey, Cody, uh, looking at the chat room right now, and if you guys don't know, you're probably watching us on one of these platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Cody's Personal, Trading with Cody, The Cody Willard Show, Twitter, via Periscope, and all that good stuff. Uh, Jeffrey C. Uh, Bornman says, EU down, China next, Cody. But we do have a question here from Arthur Miller. He's curious to know how much our tariffs will ratio to the $12 billion in farmer protection. Look, there's no way to to quantify what the actual impact of the tariffs are. And by the way, I want to address the EU down, China next. Give me a break. The EU is not down. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's not like they reduced and made it so that corporations and small businesses can freely send stuff to Europe. It's just a tweak of it all. So anyway, uh, the, 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 you can't quantify what the actual tariffs are impacting the farmer industry or whatever right now anyway. And regardless, you don't, cre you don't create welfare programs. If you're a libertarian, if you believe in constitution, I mean, isn't a welfare program what supposedly the Republicans and the people on the right media 
complain about all the time? We can't afford any more entitlements. Well, all of a sudden we can find $12 billion of entitlements for farmers because maybe tariffs are going to be impacting them or something. Meanwhile, apparently, yeah, the guy just said EU down, soybeans going to be imported to more soybeans. So wait, do we need the bailout package? Look, don't create bailout package. It's a very slippery slope to socialism. Oh, wait, we've got a mixed economy already, right? Well, those Republicans are taking full advantage of it. This is why I'm very anti-Republican and anti-Democrat. The, the, the power corrupts. The ability to send $12 billion welfare checks to an industry corrupts. You should not be okay with it. You can never, if you're a Republican and you're okay with entitlements for the farming industry, and again, it's not the crumbs, there will be crumbs. Maybe five or 10% of that $12 billion will flow down to the small farmer, the small family farmer. And why does he even deserve any welfare? You don't think the other industries now are gonna be lining up asking for more welfare? So look, I don't, I don't care how much the tariffs are impacting that particular industry. They're gonna impact me too. They're gonna to impact you. They're gonna impact jobs. They're gonna impact all kinds of things. So do we line up everybody outside the government till? So we become a socialist nation. That's the slippery slope you've gotta fight. Sorry, I'm just scared of it all. Oh my goodness. Well, we got lots of people in the chat room here giving a shout out to Maria, Robert, Ali, Ed, they're all just joining fresh and they want us to do a little bit of home for Cody because he's getting a little bit angry, which makes for good television, though. So why don't we go back, go back to a happy place, Cody. And for those of us vicariously living through your Facebook posts this weekend, looks like somebody had a good vacation. We had four days. I haven't had a vacation in a long time. My wife and I have to uh, miss work. My wife misses more work than I do, taking care of our medically fragile, beautiful, happy, wonderful, joyous, three-year-old, trisomy 13, diagnosed. It's a lot of adjectives for my baby, Amaris. She's not even a baby anymore. She's three years old. Um, dropped a guitar pick that I was trying to keep do my own thing with. Boy, now I'm really going to get upset at some point in the show. Note to That's self, more about get Cody I'm always happy spinner. when I talk about him. Sorry, I'm always happy when I talk about Amaris. Look, the point is, I got to take, we got to actually take Amaris and my older daughter, Lincoln, four and a half years old, to a Michael Martin Murphy show. Um, I have been talking about Michael Martin Murphy for several weeks on the Trim Cody show. Here's the song that has gotten me addicted just to the song. I, Michael Martin Murphy's great, his other music, fine, but this song, it's called Geronimo's Cadillac. Listen for a second. Oh boy, take me back. I want to ride in Geronimo's Cadillac. So, you know, the fact is I actually got to meet Lincoln and I got to meet Michael Martin Murphy um, before the show started. We were, he was greeting people. They, they served a buffet. Um, it's beautiful. It's called the 3M Rocking Amphitheater. It's Michael Martin Murphy's uh, property there in Red River. And it's on a pond, as you could see there. Beautiful. And he was out in front as they were serving us food. Um, and 
chatting with people. So they, actually my daughter and I got to talk to him for a few minutes. He took Lincoln over to the pond and showed her the ducks. Very nice, wonderful um, interaction and sweet man. Um, but one of the things I want to hit on there is you talked about at the top of the show how political topics are framed today versus, say, in 1972, the year I was born, which coincidentally is the year that Sunk um, was published uh, on his first album uh, called Geronimo's Cadillac. And he talked about when he was up there, I, when I told him that I had talked to Larry at Geronimo and several of my other Apache friends about that song after I'd heard it a couple months ago, um, I saw him, I saw him, I, I mean, I told him this and he was very excited, frankly. And he was like, I said, you know, they feel like it's a protest song, I think is what Cyrus had told me or someone and uh, when I told my Apache friends on the reservation that a few weeks ago and he thought that was pretty cool and so when he got up there and he introduced that song he mentioned that there was a gentleman that had requested it and um, people ask if it's a protest song and he said and it is he said some people think this is a protest song and it is and then he said I used to be a civil rights activist and his Sons had introduced him at the beginning of the show, uh, among other things, talking about many of his accomplishments, but they said that they call him a cranky conservative cowboy. And then throughout the show, Michael talked about global warming and how he clearly doesn't believe it. And it was exactly what you would hear, the Republican talking points on any right-leaning media. He talked about um, we need more cows. He thinks we need more cows on the rangeland because uh, it's healthy for the grass. He doesn't think the carbon from cattle is a problem. The plants use carbon. Um, all, but he talked about those things and he talked about cowboy culture and it was all very, every topic when he did, and he had several political themes when he was up there throughout the show. And they were all classic Republican leaning. And I have struggled with trying to wrap my head around how you go from being a proud and rocking civil rights activist to probably loving the $12 billion bailout package for farmers. It's the, the entire way, you know, it, the re Democrats are worse in many ways than the Republicans. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. And I never will be because even the, 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 the Democrats are no longer even framing things as civil rights movements. I, I, I know a Democrat lobbyist that I went to lunch with several years ago that I love. He's a good friend. Um, but he told me unless the entity has millions of dollars in funding or revenue, he's not going to lobby for it. So who's gonna lobby for the poor people? Nobody's lobbying for the poor people. And I think in the 60s people did. 
I think people lobbied for and fought for in a ground, underground guerrilla kind of fashion. And I don't mean violent, but activists. And we're not activists anymore. It's hard to be an activist. It's easy to let people feed you your viewpoints and feeds you what you what they think is important to talk about in general. We're talking about we're talking about bailouts and tariffs all day every day. And we don't talk about how as Michael Martin Murphy himself wrote 46 years ago, the white man stole their land and they won't give it back. And they gave Geronimo a Cadillac. They tried to put him on welfare too. Slippery slope, man. Well, one thing for sure that's changed over the decades is divorce. And <laughs> nowadays, you got to worry about cryptocurrency during your divorce, right, Cody? Not me. I'm not getting divorced. <laughs> My wife is an attorney, though. And uh, she gets, like any attorney, just, you know, lists and blasts like you do. I get invitations to um, financial conferences all the time. So for the last two or three years, I've been getting invitations, especially in the last year, to cryptocurrency conferences. So my wife got an invitation the other day to a cryptocurrency, how to handle cryptocurrency in divorce. Because it's tangibly happening. I mean, people are have millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands or any amount of money in Bitcoin, you have to address that. So um, I just thought it was interesting that she had sent me that headline she, uh, w uh, with a note that said, um, funny when your world and my world collide. And I thought that was indeed funny. I think it's indicative of two things, that we're probably still in the bubble of cryptocurrencies and that we still have more crash to go. But the flip side is, I think that we are probably, um, it, in, it underscores that in 10 or 20 years, that cryptocurrency law will be a thing. Chris. Oh, I'm sorry, Cody. I, I know you think that I monitor the, the audio of the show and you, but actually, I put these headphones in sometimes when, um, you know, I start hearing Democrat and Republican over and over and over. And I, I put on nice little albums like uh, here, this Engelbert Humperdinck. This is the last waltz. That's a good one. Or if we really get on a tangent, I got aerobic dancing, which is kind of fun. I could do that move. I'll show you later. I, I'm surprised you're not doing the aerobic dancing exercise while we're doing the Cody Willard show with my my leg up this high at the and I screen. can almost I can outdo your ankle humperdinck record I if you even go to my Wikipedia page I believe it with, says this I played backup guitar for Neil Sadaka well I want you to play backup guitar for Tom Jones and I want you to start collecting panties and then you get back to me then I'll be impressed and then I'd end up having to fight over my cryptocurrencies in a divorce if I did something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Exactly, exactly. But that segues over to Cody's mailbag here. Here's the question, Cody, and you'll react in the box next to me as this uh, question unfolds. Cody, always appreciate that you let us in to hear your family story with Ameris. Heartfelt prayers. 
seems like your 10-baggers were mostly bottom fishing after a market crash and not from buying at all-time highs like today. Stepping in now seems like an opportunity for far lower gains that would vanish and turn into losses with the next big plunge. Thoughts? Okay, we need to separate the markets from individual stocks. And the, he's asking about, I've, you know, last week in the show I talked about it's not too late to find new 10 baggers. 10 baggers is another term for something you invest in that goes up 1,000%. Actually, I think that technically it, a 10 bagger is when it goes up 900%. But whatever, point being that you go, it's a stock that goes up nine or 10 times what you paid for it. And we've got several of those in the Trading with Cody portfolio right now. And I have lots of new subscribers who are asking me, how do we get the next 10 bagger? And I told you guys last week, it just doesn't work like that, which is exactly what this guy is underscoring. It's not like I can just instantly go, well, here's a bunch of stocks that I think are going to go up tenfold from the price they're at at this particular moment, especially when the markets have already gone up so much like they have. Um, but that being said, he's wrong that all of my 10 baggers were bought. My, not all of my 10 baggers were bought during the crash. In fact, almost very few of them. Uh, Apple in October 2002, no, that's not when I bought it. That was where the bottom was. I bought Apple in March 2003 when the NASDAQ had already bounced quite a bit um, off of its crashed lows in 2002. Um, Google, um, I bought in 2004 when they came public, uh, whatever year they came public, the day it came public. And the markets were not in crash mode at that point either. Another one, more recently, say Axogen. We bought that two years ago when the markets were near all-time highs. I think the Dow was actually at an all-time high. but. Um, uh, another one, NVIDIA. We bought that, what, two and a half, two years ago, and the markets were already up a bunch. So there are constantly revolutions, technology revolutions happening that I want to be invested in. But at the same time, it's not something that you can, that you can ignore the cycles around. I mean, without a doubt, the next time the market crashes 50%, which it will happen in my lifetime, maybe in the next two to three years, maybe in the next five to 15 years. But when that happens, that will probably be the, a great opportunity to find stocks that will be 10 baggers for you. Doesn't mean that you can't find some right now though. All right, just checking out the uh, active chat room here. Shout outs to Benjamin, uh, Istro, Adam, Arthur here who says it's healthy to have your perspective, Cody, and keep the Republican Democrat, Democrat regime in check. Just don't <laughs> let it limit your MMA game. <laughs> What's uh, mixed martial arts MMA game? I, I think so. I, I don't, I, I don't I'm missing know the reference. MMA but game. I, think, I, I, love, you, I, I bet know. there's a good joke that I'm not getting a, Arthur, a, 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 in the moment on air. Arthur Miller, get, get more specific uh, so we have context for your comment. Maybe uh, he's thinking I'm going to go MMA on the Republican Democrat regime, which I'm not because I don't, no violence, man. Just activism. That's right. No blood. Speaking of red, big red, that is. Verizon beat on the top and the bottom line. Cody, thoughts? 
Google, the anti-Facebook. Um, look, you know, Google has been investing in all kinds of new ventures. Waymo, their driverless, uh, is getting ready to hit the markets. It'll be a multi-billion dollar revenue stream for them. Um, YouTube, the number two most popular site on the entire planet. Google paid, was it like $1.4 billion, I'm thinking? In 2005, 2006, when they bought that, um, you know, they, that YouTube's probably worth 150 or 200, maybe 300 billion dollars in its own right these days. Um, Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, as I've been saying for s seven years, six years. When did Facebook come public? 2012. Um, those are the four horsemen of tech, and uh, Google. You know, this for the last 90 days was the anti-Facebook, but uh, both are probably stocks you want to hold on to for the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years. Also holding on to his comment is Arthur in the chat room. He specifies, sometimes it takes several disciplines to take on your dynamic opponent. Ah. Mixed martial arts. I, yeah. This is mixed political arts. That's right. And uh, hello to Kevin, Jeffrey, John. We'll all just join in the chat room. On to the next question. It's a little bit long one. Uh, bear with me. Hey, Cody, just looking at the overall growth of my portfolio and want to get your thoughts on my stock mutual fund to cash ratio. You've said you're more cautious about this bubble blowing bull market. Uh, I guess when it goes down, we'll abbreviate it BM. Uh, now then you've been in many years and you've steered us to increase our cash positions over the last several months. I'm currently at 37% cash. I know you've said that everyone's situation is different, but just curious if that number sits well with you in your current state of mind. Always appreciate your insights. Um, I think if it switches to address your thing, there won't be BM when the bubble blowing bull market ends. It will then be the crash-inducing bear market doesn't have quite the ring. Um, it's a really difficult question to answer specifically because, as I always tell people, that 37% cash, is that conservative? Well, if you're 85 years old, that would be recklessly aggressive, not conservative. If you're 23 years old and making $220,000 a year and you have the potential to make $5 million as an investment banker in the next 10 years, 37% cash is almost ridiculous to even think about because you would be making hopefully 100 times more than what's in your stock account in the next five years. So. Then the other point is, you know, my one of my best friends from childhood, Robert Sainer, shout out. Um, he used to come on Fox Business with me occasionally too, um, as a guest. Um, I wanted him as my sidekick because I think that guy is the funniest dude. Lots of people in Rudoso in Dallas will tell you, and in China and in New York, wherever da Robert's working right now, I guarantee you people tell you he's very funny. But anyway, I probably needs his own show. Doesn't need to be my sidekick. Anyway, um, he's much more conservative than I am. I, he makes a great living. He's saved tons, I'm sure. 
And he's a good, very conservative investor. And that's okay. He's just about my age. He doesn't even have kids. Not yet. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, he's wired differently. So I bet he's got more than 37% cash if I had to bet. So it's all relative in that sense. Now that being said, the way I would phrase it is, if you had 10% cash three years ago, because I was much more aggressively bullish, seven years ago, I was 0% short. I was very long, aggressively long. Whereas now I've got a lot more cash than I did seven years ago, percentage-wise. And frankly, quantitatively wise too, because I've invested well and saved and hustled and earned and et cetera. So anyway, it's, it, it, you should have two or three times more amount of cash than you did two years ago and a lot more cash than you did seven years ago if you're a Train With Cody subscriber. That's who this, which this guy I know was because I got that question in an email from him asking if I would address it on the show today. Chris. You know, Cody, I'm just looking at the wire, things that are crossing right now. White House bars CNN correspondent from open press event. What does it matter? What does it matter? It's all a side game. That's a joke. It's not left or right. CNN's not against Trump. CNN's not against Republican Democrat regime. You listen to anything on CNN, they're all about Republicans and Democrats. None of them ever speak for the independent. None of them are questioning the globalist. Forget globalist. Trump pretends he's an anti-globalist, so that's a loaded term. I'm not even gonna use that. They try to pretend they're not just in the pockets of giant corporate Republican Democrat regime system. The, the CNN guy is not going to ask Trump anything meaningful. He's not going to call out the libertarian lacking the hypocrisy of a $12 billion bailout for, I mean, give me a break. doesn't even matter. doesn't even discuss that. Thy shall be done. We won't even discuss it. It's uh, it's interesting here as you go. I wonder, you know, what Fox News has on their headlines right now versus CNN. CNN reads, top of the fold, above the fold, Michael Cohen sent up flares, but Trump never came to help. Go over to Fox News. What do they have? Their app is not loading. Oh, Zuck. Financial news right at the top. Zuck loses $16 billion in five minutes. And there's a... Uh, <laughs> There's, there's a little picture of him with, you know, he's that looking is down. A, this is him right is after, a, yeah. right after it happened. He, he, he did this and they I don't happened think, to get a picture I, of I, it. I, I, I'm sure that sucks not exactly like dancing and partying and thinking this is a wonderful day, but this is, that he lost $16 billion on paper and he wasn't going to be able to send, like, that's not a real number. So here's a comment. In the chat room, Adam says the White House press conferences are like watching financial networks. It's not about what you said yesterday. It's about what you say today that matters. LOL. I wonder if he was really laughing out loud when he said that. I All feel 
I just want to be clear, that's not anything different from under Obama or Bush or Clinton or the other Bush or Reagan or Carter, every president we've had in my lifetime. It's all a game show. Tis true. And it looks like we've wrapped up all of our loose ends. We've answered all of our questions. We've informed. We've made the world a better place through this show I wanted, today. I wanted, we had, I wanted to hit Verizon. Verizon 5G. Hit it. So, um, there was a, another mailbag question. One of the subscribers had asked me uh, in the chat room yesterday to analyze the Verizon quarter, and then Verizon did report an amazing. That's not even true. I just start that over. Verizon reported a fine quarter, but what was amazing is they are finally figuring out they're not going to be a Hollywood content movie, TV series company. They are going to focus on being a network communications company and making 5G their everything. Like, bet the business on 5G, which is exactly why I own the stock, because that's what I want them to do. They've already got a head start investing much more time, energy, and focus on 5G than, say, they're by far their biggest competitor, AT&T, which is distracted with uh, the CNN slash Warner Brothers uh, Time Warner merger and you know the what is it T-Mobile and Sprint or they don't have access to capital or the cash at, at all that Verizon has that it's going to be required to be the leader in 5G so if Verizon will be a 5G company that stock's going to be worth a trillion dollars, five or ten years. It's probably a two hundred fifty billion dollar market cap. So that's a. That, I don't throw price targets on stocks. I think it's um, bad idea. We'll talk about that another time. But I. That's the first time I've talked about Verizon potentially becoming a trillion dollar company. I seven years ago talked about Apple becoming a trillion dollar company, and now it's about to become one. And um, I don't know. Uh, the, I, the thing I would tell you is stick with Verizon as long as they're sticking with 5G. Chris, I just want to tell everybody peace, love, and happiness. I want to thank you for being here and being the man, making all this happen. And uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in.